It's wrap-up Friday, everybody, which means I'm bringing on my good friend, Chris Michaels, where we can talk about all the stories that we were talking about throughout the week, as well as the things that popped up today. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they do. You don't know what they sacrifice. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, Bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. I'm your host, Greg Bolden, here with Chris Michaels. Why? Because it's Friday, and it's our weekly show where we recap the events that are going on this week, as well as the stories of today. Chris, as always, host the Last Call with Chris Michaels podcast. You can find it on all of your favorite podcasting apps. He's irreverent. He is witty. He is funny. And I'm proud to call him friend. Uh, you might have heard him just a few days ago talking with Lefty Lehman. What a great show. If you haven't listened to it, make sure that you go back and you listen to that one. Today on the topics with Chris, we're going to be discussing Ron DeSantis and Elon Musk and whether Elon was tampering with a future election by offering that to Ron. We'll talk a little bit about Donald Trump. North Face has made themselves now into the Bud Light conversation as if somebody could make a worse advertisement. They're having a com competition. Hold my beer. I guess are all holding Bud Lights. And we also have this story coming out from Dodger Stadium. We're going to have a guest coming up here in a few moments to talk about that. But Chris, welcome back to the show. How are you doing this week? I'm great. How about you? I'm awesome, man. <laughs> Broken ankle can't keep me down. Yeah, no, no way. <laughs> I'm so I'm so I still have the giggles from before we started. So I'm just, I'm trying to maintain here. So I was gonna well, pull that's... a SpongeBob episode, you know, with the <laughs> sentence enhancers. Hey Greg, how the are you? <laughs> no, that was a that was great. So if, for the listeners that don't know. Before we get started, we go over and we review oh. kind of show notes. Here's what we're going to talk about. And we got pretty uh, out there just a few moments ago uh, doing our mic checks. And it was a blast. So we're both oh, yeah. giggling and laughing. <laughs> but that's good. It's good energy for our <laughs> listeners to join us and know that we're happy people and ready to get going. Yeah. Fly on the wall material. That's it. Absolutely. Call that evergreen. We can play that over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Send it out for demos. Okay. So <laughs> So North Face, so, did you see this commercial for North Face? Did you have a chance to look at this thing that they're pushing out there? So yeah, so North Face, they decided that they were going to do a Bud Light style uh, ad campaign with this drag queen name, named Patty Gonia, who is telling their customers to come out in nature. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's that have to do with nature? You know, isn't North Face supposed to be like the camping and everything else? Like, is now like, hey, guys, you're not thinking about your transgenderism enough when you're camping. We need you to think about this a little bit more. Uh, why is it that all these companies are going woke with this agenda? Because they're shoving it down everybody's throats at this point in time. Like, Pride Month is upon us. We're going to have a whole month. So they're gearing up. That's the only thing I can think of right now. 
Because, you know, June, that's when everything happens. You go to New York City, Coney Island, you've got the Mermaid Festival. That's a blast. Um, I've done that one, once. That was, that was an experience. <laughs> but Did you find your mermaid? No, but I found a lot of topless women. Uh, they had the, they, they put the paint on, you know, oh, so they're not technically topless, you know, if they have paint on and pasties. Um, and it, it was just, uh, it was a freak parade. It was a freak show. I mean, it's fun to do that once in a while to see what goes on, but wow, that was, <laughs> you couldn't be sober for that one. Um, but you're right. I don't understand why they're pushing this so much. It's, it's almost as if there's something else in the background going on. It's like a George Soros kind of deal. And why would North Face choose a crossdresser with the name Patagonia when there is a competing outdoors company uh-huh. called Patagonia? Yep. What, what kind of idiot does that? <laughs> and here's my, here's my little, little critique on the whole thing, besides the obvious. Why the mustache? I, yeah. Why the mustache on this guy? It was, well, this I guess was crazy. The, the, the curtains had to match the drapes, I guess. See, you don't know that. You don't know that because we don't know the real eyebrow color of this person. We don't know the real hair color. And now maybe we don't even know what this person actually looks like in real life. Right. I mean, this could be a police officer, you know, for all we know. Could be. Could be. But it was it was come out like like pushing that kind of that kind of narrative and agenda again. And it's, it's like, come on, this is just tiresome. Why do we need this all the time? Here's, here's what bothers me. I'm a married man, been married for uh, many years now at this point, I'm at that point where I can say I've been married many years and got two children. I I've dated a, a ton of women throughout my life, happily settled down, love my wife. I believe that I'm a pretty uh, good expert at this point in time on what a woman is and how women act and not that there's a stereotypical way that a woman acts, but women are strong people. Women are much stronger than men in many ways. Their emotional stability, things that they have going for them. They are amazing. The, The ability to give childbirth, to go through that level of pain and be resilient to be able to be a mother long-term. I get really disgusted when I see ads like this, with people that are cross-dressing, you know, or in the trans side, like Dylan Mulvaney. And I see that they are doing a caricature that is insulting to anyone who's a woman and making it as if being a woman is playtime. Okay, guys, how are you? Let's talk about our feelings. (laughs) When you put people into this caricature, it's insulting to the very people that are biologically female. And I got to wonder... Why is it that more women aren't standing up at this point in time saying enough is enough, you know, kick the act to the curb. You know, you are now insulting. Like if men all of a sudden were like women were to start making fun of men one, I think that'd be kind of funny. I'd enjoy it. But on top of that, if it became serious to the point where society was like, Oh no, that's exactly a man too. I'd be like, get the F out of here. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not buying this. (laughs) The hell out of here. I don't, I, I, I come across it along the same lines what why is it this they're promoting this just a caricature of what women should be and what women are not what they should be it's what they are 
and they go over the top with the lilt in the voice. And it, every time they speak, it sounds like steam is escaping. You know, like, why does that have to happen like that? Why can't you just be confident in your own skin? And how come we can't just say that women are good? Why can't we say that we're proud of our women that live in this country? Why do? Why is there suddenly a hijacking of women from the cover of Sports Illustrated? And in sports now, I mean, you brought it up on, on your podcast, I think earlier in the week, where the, that one poor girl, she was kicked out of, the, what, the state championships yep. by one or something like that? One spot. Now I, right, one spot because of another transgender athlete. Like, why can't we just accept trans people and accept women? Why Why does one have to push out the other? I don't understand because, that. Because if trans people are not equal to women, according to this woke culture, then, they're, then we are somehow transphobic. That if we say that, you know, the fact that they can't actually have a child and, you know, I just think that we're ruining the traditional nuclear family, the traditional yes. family values across the board, which leads me to kind of this next topic I want to talk about. You, you might have heard about the L.A. Dodgers, which <laughs> this is the perfect story for L.A. in a lot of ways. And we're going to have a guest coming on here in just a few moments with us. He just joined in uh, so we can hear from somebody who's actually living out there and culturally how this affects his life. And I'll kind of explain that in a few moments. So for the Dodgers Pride Night, they invited the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Now, this is a drag group that's dressed up as nuns often will tie somebody up to a crucifix and then provocatively dance around that individual. And so I don't know, Chris, I used to go to the major league baseball games with my family growing up and it was a, a great family event. They would toss the t-shirts out. You'd go, you'd get the uh, autographs from people. You would watch the cups up on the jumbotron and try to guess where the ball was. But I don't remember the spot where I was supposed to watch Jesus get gyrated on by a drag nun. Did I oh. miss that time or something? Where was that in the uh, in the baseball game back in the 1990s? Oh, not even during the seventh inning stretch did you have anything so disgusting. And the argument that these people are trying to make is that, oh, well, this is if you don't have this group over there, then you don't support gay people and lesbian people and trans people. How is blasphemy showing your support? <laughs> I don't understand that. And what people also don't realize is that they are witnessing an occult-style ritual. If you do any research into the Golden Dawn or the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis, they do those kinds of things. During their, I remember I read a, um, an account of a woman in Los Angeles, this was probably a year or two ago, she was dating somebody, she was just breaking through into Hollywood and all that, and she wanted to bring her boyfriend to her church, and the guy was like, nah, 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 and then eventually he caved and said, fine, I'll go to your church if you go to mine, so she went to her church, and then the next weekend, they went to his church, and she said it was really bizarre, because up on stage, they had a Jesus-like figure with a lot of large women basically gyrating all over him and trying to rape him. It's that kind of blasphemy, because in those cultures, you go after the closest thing to God as you can possibly get. You try to corrupt those things. 
you corrupt children. You try to hijack the perspectives and environments of children because children are the most innocent when they come out of the womb. So they're witnessing this. And if they think that their energy doesn't contribute to this kind of stuff, either by tacitly supporting it or something being rewired in their heads, because you know, you see something, then it becomes part of your subconscious. And then all of a sudden you say, hey, you know what? I think I want to, you know, do something horrible <laughs> to, to something, some religious iconography. Yeah. Can stop. What's interesting, what you're saying, though, is I, I heard people on the left today say, well, you know, the Catholic Church has no right to say anything because what they did to children. And so that led me to want to bring a guest on to the show, because I think personally he's been affected by the Catholic abuse uh, cases because his job and his role is he's a priest. And he's been a, a guest on my show before. Uh, his name is Father John Grebrich. Uh, He is currently uh, out in that area near L.A., and so I connected with him and I said, Hey, we're going to be doing a show. I'd like you to come on because I want to ask if you are a priest, you've been ordained, you've dedicated your life. How does this type of stuff affect you? So John, welcome back to the show. Hey, Greg, great to be here with you. And uh, Chris, great to be here with you as well. Hi, John. So, so John, uh, you're out there, you're in the, the region of, uh, you know, California, San Francisco, you might go take in a Dodgers game. I don't even know if you've been the one, but, uh, <laughs> But so we're, we're in Giants territory out here, Greg. Giants territory. All right. So, I mean, would the Giants ever host something like this? Or is this something that's just an L.A. crazy thing that's going on right now? And what's going on out there in California? Well, you know, it's so interesting that you asked me to be on the show today because I did not know about this happening until I just happened to, to come across an article uh, today. And I was reading about it. And I've heard about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence before, so I wasn't really surprised um, and, and I like as I was kind of mentioning to you in passing when we were talking privately, it's like these types of things don't really shock me anymore. So it's not like I'm really like terribly offended, maybe in the way that maybe some people are or that they even should be. Um, and that's not to kind of belittle exactly what's going on here either. It's just that um, in some ways, so much so much of this stuff has become so normative that uh, I know for me personally, it doesn't really um, – jar me maybe as it might have um you know some years ago so you know you you spent your life now uh in the catholic world uh eventually you know uh i don't even know how many years it's been has it been 10 years uh since you've been ordained or are you coming up on 10 years uh i think it's gonna be eight years this year eight years actually. okay yeah. mm -hmm. time's flying so that's why i'm yeah, losing track of time yeah, but so yeah. you were ordained about eight years ago uh, you mm -hmm. had to do seminary work for many years before that uh, I know that you would consider the priesthood multiple times through different orders and kind of have thought about, you know, what does that look like for you? Yeah. What's it like to see the blasphemy um, on public display with a group like this? How, how do you react to that now? What is, why is it that it's dulled for you? And is that, what's that say about, I guess, how this has been successful maybe in taking religion out of the equation on the minds of so many people throughout the country? Well, I, I, you know, I just don't think that things like this happen in some type of isolated way or they just happen out coming out of nowhere. I, I mean, I am a very firm believer that there have been people in the Catholic Church, priests and and religious sisters who have really hurt a lot of people and have done things to really muddle up what the genuine 
um, uh, message of Christianity is, which is a, a, an unconditional loving God. I mean, there's there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the church that's caused a lot of pain. And as a priest, I see a lot of that. So uh, I, I think that's kind of maybe where I come from. And when I see things like this happening, to me, it's more of an indicative of like, this is people's frustration with lots of hurt that's happened at the hands of the church. I just don't think you can skirt around that. And I think the more that we try to skirt around that and just think that this is just another, you know, stick in the middle finger to the church, it's like, well, the church has to look inside itself, so to speak. And when I say the church, every single member of the church to see what have we done to cause a certain type of cultural context or climate, I should say, that 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 makes people feel as if somehow they're not wanted or not loved or what like or whatnot. I mean, because that has happened and it's happened to me personally. So I, I don't want to give the church a pass or just somehow thinking like they're just dumping it on the church. Um, and I speak that as a priest, and I'm willing to take that criticism because I do take that criticism, and I do take a lot of the pain and hurt from people a lot as a priest. I think that's very admirable of you to do so, but I also don't know that it's completely necessary in this case. I, I, I you know, as somebody, you and I have had private conversations about the hurt and the abuse of the church. It's something that I know all too well, um, and I would look at from standpoint of you go back to like Nirvana. Uh, they had their third album that they put out there and heart shaped box, you know, he's up on the cross crows are picking at him and people were upset at MTV back then you go to the Madonna, uh, life is a mystery. And she starts singing that song. Meanwhile, there's crosses burning and things in the background, the Catholics and Christians have always been, uh, an easy target for, um, uh, the left, and an easy target for people in general to express this, this taste for religion. If you look at Muhammad and the Muslims, if stuff like that happens, they literally will kill people for their faith. Well, and I, okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, what were you going to say? Well, I, I just think that you have to be careful with how you say certain things. I mean, when you say always, what, what does always mean? Because, you know, if we look at, at the curve of Western history, I mean, once Christianity became the official religion of Rome, I mean, Christianity was driving the narrative and that narrative spilled over into, uh, you know, the founding of the United States and whatnot. So, you know, when, when you see these things happening, uh, the, the, you know, the, the victors who write history are the ones who are going to be attacked, so to speak. Right. I mean, and, uh, and and Christianity has been victorious on different levels, sometimes in very admirable ways and many times, actually. Um, in fact, I, I think about the great missions out here in California, which really made the state what it is. Um, but, you know, at the same token, when they when you have a narrative that's driven by the people who were able to kind of set foot and be able to uh, establish a, a certain type of space, uh, the people who were somehow neglected or did not get to be part of that uh, privileged place, that privileged class, they're the ones who are going to be screaming the most. So Muslims and Jewish people, for example, have not driven the narrative uh, in the same way that uh, Christians have. So, you know, I think that, you know, it's very understandable when the person on top is the one that people are going to really attack the most. And that's what's happening. 
So what about just coming at, <clears throat> coming at it from a point of respect for religions overall? It doesn't matter that it's Christianity. It could be Christianity, Judaism, or, or, or Islam, or if we really want to be obscure, Jainism. So why is this somehow getting more of a pass than just saying, hey, it's just off limits? You know what I mean? What, what would happen if something lewd were to occur uh, with a menorah or, you know, people ripping shadows off of other people's heads? Like, why can't this just be a matter of respect, period? And it there. Well, I agree. And I think that is really the problem here. There, it, there is not respect happening here, and that that is a big problem. I'm coming from the from the standpoint that it's understandable why these things happen, and and I think that's where I would like to kind of maybe work with the discussion rather than just think like what is wrong with people and why do they why aren't they respecting people? i yeah. mean like i think it's understandable why people don't respect other people I, I i think that's what we need to go and understand like it's like when 9 11 happened well like well why did these fanatic uh, islamic extremists want to do this rather than just like somehow think like well geez they just don't respect us i mean what's wrong with that i mean like i think we have to go to the reason as to what has been contributing on the end of Christians to be able to create a space for people to attack Christianity? Because that's what's happening. That's what this is from. Yeah, and I, I look at it, John. I, this show exists for that reason to really kind of get to the undercurrent. So I appreciate that that's where you're at. But the more shocking part of the story for me was the fact that Major League Baseball seemed okay with what was going to be happening at one of their games. When you look at the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, these are very carefully curated events, things that the image really matters. And I was really kind of shocked that uh, Rob Manfred uh, wouldn't take a hardline stance and say, you know what, we can honor LGBTQ people in a way during Pride Month that doesn't need to be so salacious and so shocking. And so to me, when I see that now Major League Baseball is going to normalize this by allowing one of their affiliates, the LA Dodgers, do this, then it allows the next group to be able to erode and say, well, it was okay for them. Why isn't the NFL doing this? Why isn't the NBA doing this? Well, what, PGA, we get it onto the golf. And so I, I think that, yeah, I understand where people would be wanting to mock something that's been successful, especially something that has hurt many people. I mean, I'm not, there's just, I talked about it on my show two days ago out in Illinois. They just discovered 1,997 young people were abused by priest just in near Chicago. And that's, you know, brand new cases that had never been heard about before. So I get why people would want to do this, but I also believe that in society, we should have some safe places where we can go with our families and not be subjected to the BS of what people are hurt by and just be able to have a familiar good time. Why is it that you're seeing? I mean, you're, you're a priest. You hear from a bunch of people. Why is it family values and the familiar good time are eroding, not just in this country, but they're eroding around the world? Like we don't have the same, even the right, like the Republicans, I talk about this all the time. They use the slogan F Joe Biden. But meanwhile, that was the party when we were growing up that was putting the parental advisory labels on CDs. And there was two versions of a CD that they released, the dirty version and then the version that was clean. 
all because conservatives said, hey, let's respect the family and not subject people to this. Is this progressive moments on both the right and left? Well, I mean, I just think that we're, we're trying to stop something that really has started so long ago. And I, I just, I'm like hearing these conversations. I'm like, like I've been hearing these conversations my entire life. I mean, I'm sure people prior to, to me being around here was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how crazy things are going, going with Elvis Presley gyrating on, on national TV. I mean, like every single age has something that's like, seems to be pushing it further into this place of moral disarray. I mean, like, I think that the question once again has to go inside, like, where are we with this kind of stuff? What have we given permission to in our own lives that have compromised whatever type of understanding of family values we have? I mean, we throw the words family values around so much. I don't even know what that even means, honestly, to tell you the truth, because we can't have a discussion to talk about what that means. So since we can't understand what family values are, who's to say what is considered to be family values and what's not to be considered family values? Because we don't have a way to be able to say, okay, we're going to actually really work hard on trying to listen to each other and try to understand what these words mean. So instead, we just have people on the right saying something, people on the left saying something. And it's all, to me, the same stuff because everyone just wants their own way. Uh, but there's absolutely no way of understanding that we have to be able to talk about things from an objectivity. So, uh, and I just don't think the, the the right is the owner of objectivity, and the left isn't either. So that's the problem here. This is an, this is something that's been going for a long time. So I just feel like this is a, just another iteration of that. Yeah, okay, it might be more extreme, but every every iteration is more extreme than the last one. So I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I, I just don't understand wh why we're so surprised by this. I guess that's my, my, my feeling. I guess so. <clears throat> Excuse me. I guess so. It just seems as though that this kind of imagery uh, just takes it one step further. And, and we see more and more of it, especially when you look at entertainment and you look within, um, I, I guess, advertising now, too. It's almost as if something has been just kind of bubbling below the surface, and now it's making itself be known across all strata of society. So you kept saying before that you look within and you wonder why, essentially, this kind of uh, imagery has been allowed into society. So what would be the top three ways that you can think of that would bring respect back to society that would enable everybody to respect everybody else's religious affiliations. The top three ways. I, well, I mean, I don't, I, I, I didn't systematically think about it that way. I mean, like, I mean, like uh, for me, I, you know, I, I just like to come from a place of trying to have to be a deep listener like uh, I, I'm sitting here in a library, for example, right now in my school, and I like to sit in the library just to be surrounded by a lot of books. And the reason being is because I know that I have read maybe, I don't know, 0.01% of these books in my lifetime. So there are tons and tons of books here I haven't read, which means there is so little I know. There is so little I know. I even got a bunch of degrees, but I feel like every time I get another degree, it feels like, my gosh, there's so, there's so much more I should know. 
So I think that to come from a stance that like when I'm encountering a person or I'm encountering a situation that's somehow upsetting or that I don't understand or it's causing a, a gut reaction, the, the first place I have to go is like, I don't understand fully why this is happening. I have to come from a place of that sense of humility uh, and just slam the brakes thinking that somehow I can assess this based on what I know because I know so little. And I, and I think that's really the first place. Now that doesn't mean that you, you, that you, you can't understand that we, we do learn things and we do learn object, objective truths and things like that. And we can be able to, you know, understand those things in context. I'm not trying to like belittle the fact that we, we are people who, who are the great inheritors of knowledge and experience from our, from our, ancestors and whatnot. But I, I, at the end of the day, I still don't know the mystery of the human person in front of me. And I have to just somehow be in a place of listening. I always like to say that one of my favorite gospels um, stories with Jesus is when there's a man who's blind, clearly blind, and he's calling out to Jesus, you know, saying, Jesus, help me. And Jesus looks at him and he sees that he's clearly blind, but Jesus doesn't just like wave his hand like, okay, sure, I'm going to like, I'm going to like, you know, give you your sight because clearly that was what you need. He doesn't do that. Instead, he says, you know, what do you want me to do for you? Like he asks him, what do you want me to do? Because maybe the guy doesn't want his sight uh, restored. Maybe he has something else that he wants Jesus to attend to. And I just think that's a good exercise in every situation. Like, where is the pain behind the sisters of perpetual indulgence? Where are their, where is their pain? Why are they doing what they're doing? Rather than being like, this is such an abomination. I can't believe that this is happening. Because really what that's saying is like, you're doing something that's hurting me. Rather than me actually thinking like, how have you been hurt? And what, and maybe even what have I done to contribute to that hurt? To me, that is far more in my court than me just yelling and just saying, stop doing this nonsense because this is you're 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 intruding in the way that I want to enjoy this baseball game. So I, I think that that's the challenge. And it's a challenge that I, honestly is, is is something that most Christians, I just don't think want, are, are up for because they, they, they have they have been given the ability to be in the driver's seat for so long and they've been given everything they wanted. And especially what they've been given is the ability to live in a hyper capitalistic society where they can get whatever they want, whenever they want and still have the Jesus sprinkles on top of it. And that has been American Christianity in a nutshell. And I think that this is now the result of that type of American Christianity. You can't just have what you want and have Jesus sprinkles on it. There's going to be a price to pay for that. And this is what happens. But I love Jesus sprinkles. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's going to be your uh, tagline now, John, we're going to get you. T-shirts. No, no, you, you, you contribute that with the Larry chap. That's a Larry uh, that, chap. That's Larry chap. I was going to say, we'll yeah. get t-shirts like Jesus sprinkles here. The thing now I'm not, we got to wrap up this segment here and get to a break in a few moments. So I, I, First, I want to say, John, thank you. That was extremely thoughtful, eloquently put. I don't know that I 100% agree with the way that 
your view is versus my view. And I'm going to just explain it in a quick manner that you can respond to. I have no problem asking sisters perpetual. Uh, why is it like, where's the hurt come from? How have I contributed to that? No problem whatsoever asking that question. What I have a problem with is what's a major league baseball game. Who's it meant for? How many parents take their five-year-old to the game, getting the baseball glove to go make that catch for the first time. And if I'm walking by the game and there's a display by them, and they're dressed up and it's something that's a personal belief for me. Why is it that major league baseball is okay with subjecting my family to that display in that moment? Why is that an appropriate moment for that display to happen? And I'm not for censorship. I'm, I love the first amendment. I mean, it's, this isn't the first amendment thing. This is a brand thing. Why is it all these brands are willing to jeopardize their own brand in order to put the shock there in order to back this. Can you see from my perspective as a father well, with children, how yeah. I feel that way? Uh, yeah, I totally get what you're saying, Greg. And I, I, I'm going to say this first of what I said, just reiterate what I said before that first off, like you can't have your cake and eat it too. All right. If you're that offended by these sisters of perpetual indulgence, then first off, you just can't bring your family to the game. All right. And then and then you're saying, well, geez, but I want to bring the kids to the game because this is what they should. They should have a right to go to the baseball game and enjoy this. Well, you have to make a decision. All right. You have to make a decision like is is this so offensive that you're like, OK, I'm putting my my, my foot down saying you, we're not doing this. We're not going to support this because guess what? If you did that and say every other Christian in the stadium did that, guess who's not showing up at the game? the sisters of perpetual indulgence. But since most people want to have their cake and eat it too, they want to go to the baseball game and they, and they are also upset about the fact that the sisters of perpetual indulgence are there, but they're not upset enough to stop giving their money to it. Then it's going to continue. It's Damn as it. simple as that. It's simple Damn it, as John, that. This is why you're one of my smartest friends. I hate when you make sense. <laughs> It's, it's a, you know, I had this conversation with a friend of mine who was going off about Disney and how they were having, having some type of pro-gay thing or something like that. I said, if this bothers you so much, then just stop subscribing to Disney. Why do you – like I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like you then, seem to then, be so – Then you can't watch all this. the latest Marvel movies. That's exactly. Then you can't watch all that. Well, guess what? I mean – who, I never understood this whole notion of Christianity. That means like you're just going to get everything you want when you want it. I mean, that is Americanism right there. That's the American mentality. And American Christianity, like I said, is all about like getting whatever the heck I want and making myself feel that Jesus is somehow in the orbit as well. Well, guess what? It's the, it's the time right now where it's like if this stuff really is offensive and matters – I'm going to stop supporting it. And then I'm sure Major League Baseball is going to be like, oh, yeah, we can't do this because guess what? We're, we're losing money on this. Money talks. If they really thought they were going to lose money, they would not be doing this. But clearly they thought that it was totally not going to hit them in the, in the wallet. Wow. Well, Chris, it looks like uh, what we've heard today is John's calling for a national boycott of the Major League Baseball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if you think if you want to talk about this again, just look through our history. How did the civil rights movement actually work? Boycotts, right? 
Right. You know, I mean, how how did how did this how did you know uh, the the separation but equal stuff end through boycotts? And guess what? That was from Christian conviction. Right. That's where it came from. The civil rights movement was only successful because you had committed Christians who were willing to go to jail. Well, John, I, I can't argue with a lot of what you just said. I think that you made a great case for what the left was saying with the Catholic Church in your in what you were just stating and put that in a different perspective for me that actually makes a little bit of sense. But I, I, I love what you said about people not wanting to take action because they want to have their cake and eat it too, because I can't argue with when you're correct and <laughs> you're correct there. So I appreciate that, John. Thank you so much for coming on with uh, Chris and I today on our Friday recap of all the headlines and stuff going on. It's been a blast, man. I, I appreciate having you back on the show. Great. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. We got to get over to our first break here. All right. Uh, so if you can go over to AmericaOutloud.com, you can check out our sponsors there. The Genesis HOCL Fogger. You can buy their atomizer. You just Plug it in, set it, and forget it. And it helps rid the room of viruses and bacteria, as well as mold. And it is 100% family and pet safe. It's a great product. You can go to www.genesisfogger.com backslash out loud and get a discount on that product right now. We'll be back in the second half of the show. We'll be talking about Ron DeSantis and so much more with Chris Michaels and myself here on America Emboldened on the America Out Loud Network. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Falker with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. It was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all. Welcome back, Bold Americans. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg and Chris here on this lovely Friday. We hope that we're finding you well. We just got done hearing from Father John Gribrowich out in San Francisco, California. And wow, did he give us some things to chew on? I mean, Chris Michaels, I haven't seen you speechless the entire time I've known you. And I'm listening and I'm 
listening to John, I'm looking at your face and I'm like, wow, he's in deep reflection with me right now. Like we just got schooled on people taking inaction. How do you feel about the words that you were saying? Oh, well, he's not wrong with what he's saying, right? Because his basic point is if you're so upset about what's going on in L.A., with the sisters of what was it? Sisters of depravity, sisters of indulgence, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Then, then don't go to the game, right? Create a new environment for yourself that is more resonant with what you want to live in, which makes a lot of sense. And then the other aspect that I almost asked, but I really didn't, was that he was talking about what did I do, or what did the church do to allow this kind of behavior to flourish? Where did the church go wrong, essentially? And so if I'm offended by that, I have to ask myself, why does this trigger me, and why am I upset with this? What in my past is upsetting me that I haven't necessarily worked out or resolved yet? And that's very, very introspective. That's all life coaching stuff. If you ever listen to Eckhart Tolle, on YouTube or Rudolf Steiner or uh, Neville Goddard or any of that, Napoleon Hill. It's all about your internal strength, your ability to reflect on yourself. And it's the ability to basically be your own life coach and say, this is why I'm upset. This is what caused the upset and being brutally honest. I mean, it could be something embarrassing from when you were a teenager that you haven't gotten over, but it ripples throughout your life. And all of a sudden you're upset about cats and dogs because you got dumped on a Friday. So, I mean, you could be, there's a whole matter of reasons, but here's one thing that I thought he did not necessarily approach. If we want to bridge these gaps and have respect for all religions, because my argument is, why do you have to do this? Yes, it's fine. It's freedom of speech and whatever else. And you could go and get a permit to do these kinds of things in a town square or whatever you want, but it's, it's, it's a baseball game. Do we really need to see this kind of blasphemy at a baseball game? And it doesn't matter that it's Christianity. It could be Judaism. It could be Islam. I'm just saying, regardless of what your background is, what, what's why? I mean, this is just shock therapy. You know what I mean? This is just people doing something for the sake of doing it. And what would we have to do to get those people to reflect on their actions. Because I can promise you that if I went up to them and said, hey, what, what's what's the deal? Like, how did you end up here on a cross in front of a baseball game, humping each other? Like, what, how, where did you, where did you go wrong, I guess? I don't think they'd have the same kind of reflection right. to answer like, oh yeah, you know, I got really hurt when I was you know a what, kid for some reason, you know? You, it's, it's, you know what this sounds like? What does it sound like? It sounds like next Friday we should try to see if we can get one of them to speak with us. Oh boy. I'm not, <laughs> we I'm not can even... talk about the right hand path and the left hand path. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm kind of not even joking though. Like there's part of me that's like, could we get somebody from that group and just say, hey, you know, <laughs> can you show me on this doll where we hurt you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in all where have you been touched? <laughs> it, it could be an interesting show. I don't know. Let's 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 chew it on that. Later. It let's could be. It could be. We'll chew on that so, later. So here's somebody else that deserves some introspection. Ron DeSantis. <laughs> because holy moly, did you li- like I didn't listen to it live. I you yeah, sent me a I link was, and I, I was, was able to listen live. to it. So yeah. you heard the whole thing in real time about I him did. announcing yeah. this. I'm sorry to tell you, but that announcement was essentially steel cut oatmeal 
toast without butter, rice pudding, and a glass of water. It was that effing boring. I, I'm sorry. And, and stop with the three-inch cowboy boots, three-inch heels on the cowboy boots. Like, right. you could hear the paper rustling in the background that he's reading from. I mean, it's awful. <laughs> It was so, so what, what, what Chris is talking about right now, if you're living under a rock or you're not on Twitter to understand this, Elon Musk brought on Ron DeSantis to Twitter in order to give his presidential candidacy speech. And then what was supposed to be a presser afterwards, a press conference when they originally got on it, the numbers got up to like 670,000 people had joined and you could hear audio for about 15 seconds and it would crash. Eventually, Elon, you can hear him in the background saying, bring some more servers online. We got to get this fixed. And then it cuts out again. Presumably, they started pulling resources of servers because entire Twitter servers completely bombed. They crashed Twitter because there was so much traffic moving towards this. Eventually, Elon had to use somebody else's Twitter space that already had the ability to host a million people in order to get it back up. But because they had a new link, the numbers only got up from what I saw to like 327,000 people. So he wasn't even announcing to the millions that he likely would have announced to at the beginning. So the first part of this, what a failure for Twitter and Elon Musk in trying to do something grand. Uh, It was a a complete uh, crap show across the board. The other part of it was the person who was doing the uh, bidding for Ron DeSantis. Did you see who uh, he had, David Sachs? Uh, did you, when you listened, were you able to tell David was on there? Yeah, that's okay. that I saw. And so he was David, he was portrayed as an unbiased, you know. Yeah, he's portrayed <laughs> as unbiased. <laughs> let's 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 be very clear that David Sachs worked with Elon Musk on PayPal. He was one of the, uh, I believe at the time, the, the founding COO of PayPal, which means him and Elon worked really well together. Not just that, but he's also an angel investor in Facebook, Uber, SpaceX, Palantir Technologies, and Airbnb. This guy uh, was also born in Cape Town, South Africa. Chris Michaels, who else was born around Cape Town, South Africa? Wasn't it Elon Musk? Elon Musk, right? So the guy who is representing Ron DeSantis happens to be one of Elon Musk's best friends, conveniently for this Twitter space. And this told me everything I needed to know right from the get-go of how this thing was going to go. It was a carefully curated, poorly executed announcement. And if anything, I think it made Ron DeSantis look unprofessional, like a wooden stooge and anybody that can look at yesterday's announcement and say, man, what a great time. What great questions. All of the questions came from his friends. He was acknowledging their relationships in the past and the people asking the questions were like, Ron, I really loved hanging out with you eating wings. That didn't actually say that, but they basically (laughs) could have said that. Uh, But he knew the questions before they were ever coming. It was no different than a Joe Biden presser. He knew what was about to happen. He had pre, uh, prepared his notes for what his talking points were going to be. And if that's going to be the best that the Republicans have to go up against Donald Trump, Donald Trump has nothing to worry about right now. Oh yeah. Just look at the way Donald Trump used to handle hostile reporters day in and day out for hours, for hours. Like I, I thought the guy had nothing else to do and he would sit there during to him. 
right. <laughs> they would sit there and call people nasty and say you're stupid. Yep. <laughs> All this other stuff. Meanwhile, there's Ron DeSantis. He sounds like Al Gore Jr. It sounds like he cannot move from the paper or the, the screen in front of him to say anything off the cuff that's not scripted. So am I surprised about something like this? Absolutely not, because you're not going to make a presidential announcement unless you are in friendly territory and you've got a whole bunch of people that absolutely support you 100%. I mean, it's, it's just another level of facade that all these politicians have to deal with or that we have to deal with on behalf of these politicians, right? Because, oh, there's, there's David Sachs. He's some altruistic pillar of the, of the community and he's going to introduce, okay, well, look at his background. You know, he's a huge supporter of Ron DeSantis. So, of course, he's going to do that. And then if you go like one step further, have you heard about um, uh, what LinkedIn did today with uh, Vivek? What is his name? Ramaswamy. Mm. So he posted something along the lines of um, that the, the climate change is a farce. Right. He, something along those lines that, that it's a climate cult and, and it's all nonsense and whatever. So LinkedIn locked out his account. Or severely restricted it. Now, why? Because he's saying that, you know, we should really kind of look at this kind of thing. So you're already starting to see this kind of manipulation within the political sphere. And it's not even 2024 yet. And big tech is still unfettered. You know, when, maybe you got an argument with Twitter, but you still hear about all these Twitter um, profiles being censored and all that, too. And so come on. <laughs> Vivek's announced his candidacy for president. So at this point, yes. LinkedIn has now silenced, if that's the case, uh, a presidential candidate in this country. Right. So all this upheaval about, you know, big tech. Now, I'll tell you what worried me about yesterday. I've had high hopes for Elon. I've defended Elon repeatedly. Yesterday was a huge warning lights went off for me. The fact that Elon would choose to roll out the red carpet for Ron DeSantis and make such fanfare about this. This did not feel like a Twitter commercial about what they could offer. This felt like support for a presidential candidate. Am I misreading that or is Elon already in the bag as an elite for Ron DeSantis? See, once you reach Elon's level, you're going to support people on both sides. It doesn't matter who gets in there. You just got to make sure that your bread is buttered on either side. You know what I mean? He can even come out and say later on, oh, I support Ron DeSantis. It doesn't matter. He's still donating to the other side in one form or another, directly or indirectly. So I think from what this looks like to me, it, it just seemed like a way that Elon felt as though he could get a lot of traction by hosting a space like this and trying to disrupt the mainstream media business market. He's trying to make Twitter citizen journalism friendly. And so if he had a major candidate like Ron DeSantis announce his intention to run as president on Twitter spaces, which is essentially a conference call, then this would be a really big deal. And I also think now, this is this is me going out on the limb. Mm -hmm. I also think that Elon was trying to entice Trump to come back to Twitter. If this thing went well and we had, if you could see in the space, 1.7 million listeners, right, for Ron DeSantis, 
imagine what somebody like Trump would get, right? So mm-hmm. if, tr- if this went over well, I would assume a lot better than it did, I would completely think that Trump would be jealous and try to jump in his own space and try to do his own spaces every now and then. So I think that's, that's really the goal with this with Elon. Try to get, try to get notoriety, try to fully enforce citizen journalism and try to entice Trump to try and come back and do something. Well, Trump had a response rather quickly (laughs) (laughs) to this announcement. And I don't know who's on Trump's team that put that together, but within 30 minutes of that thing being over, he had a fake Twitter space that showed George Soros, Satan, um, the WEF uh, founder, Klaus Klaus Schwab. Schwab. Yeah, Hitler was in there. Hitler, and they're <laughs> the talking. Yeah, and then at the end, Donald Trump comes on, and it was brilliant. It was, it was really good marketing and really well put together. And if Donald Trump is firing on all cylinders in that manner already at this stage of the game, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with for the Republican Party. Um, that was shocking that they were able to get that out so fast. Oh, I loved it. I, I, I you know. <laughs> I just love when they start going after one another like that. I thought that was perfect. Now, this is what I'd like to know. I'd like to know across all platforms, across all accounts, how many views that video got compared to what DeSantis got on his uh, announcement for presidency. I would promise you there's probably a lot more people looking at that (laughs) than old Al Gore Jr. (laughs) I I agree. Now... (laughs) DeSantis hit the microphones today attacking Donald Trump. And in his attack, he went on to the Glenn Beck show and he said that Donald Trump handed over the country to Anthony Fauci. Donald Trump responded and said, well, let's put out the COVID numbers. Ron DeSantis didn't do well on COVID. He likes to say we kept everything open, but he had more deaths than almost every country in the world in the state of Florida. He says, I hate to say it because Florida is my state, but he did not do well. This is going to be a 12-round Muhammad Ali-style fight that I'm kind of looking forward to at oh, this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, my, what a great My nipples because, are hard looking at this stuff. <laughs> this is great stuff. <laughs> the, the Sanders is right, though. I mean, that's going to be a major criticism of Trump. He did turn the country over to the CDC and Anthony Fauci. And the reason why we had mandates and everything else, you can rest and the economy, too. That all falls on Donald Trump's shoulders as well. He was president during that, and I understand it was a horrible situation, but it doesn't give him an excuse in all this. How much will that attack sting against conservative voters that have been upset about the COVID pandemic and the response? I think it'll... See, I don't think it'll go far enough to have him completely kicked out because he's so well-liked. And now he's starting to say the same things that RK Jr. is talking about. Oh, he's going to release the JFK files now. Well, he had a chance to do it. He even told uh, Judge Napolitano, if you saw what was in there, you couldn't release it either. So now you change your mind. Yeah. Now you're going to release it. (laughs) Okay. I'd like to see that. I don't think it's going to do that much damage to him overall. Uh, to be completely honest with you, I think Ron DeSantis is going to have some skeletons that start leaking out of his closet. Because when COVID first started, I think, if I remember correctly, 
he wanted to have state troopers along all of the highways that were leading into Florida to make sure that people from other states weren't getting in there to spread COVID. So that sounds pretty draconian, doesn't it? (laughs) And then you still have the laws on the books that allow Florida to, I think, uh, round people up and force vaccinate them in extreme conditions. So is he really doing that stuff? You know, is he really the pillar of democracy and freedom in Florida? Like I said plenty of times, he sounds good. He does the right things. But I think we're looking at another Obama. He says the nice things. He says the correct things. He does some of the correct things. But once he's in office, it doesn't matter. You know, he's just going to do what he wants. And if you look at his funding, who backs him up? I mean, you got some very shady individuals. You're yes. talking about the Bushes and, and all of those clowns. And so do you really think he's going to, you know, change their opinion? No, he's the front man. <laughs> yeah, he, to me, Ron DeSantis is the pick of the elites. You and I talked about that the other day, maybe last night. Um, I know we, you texted that to me and I was like, lockstep agreement with you that seems to be who's going to be the front runner uh that the media is going to push um trump they they just scheduled his trial for march which is right during election season that can't be accidental Uh, of course not not be accidental of course not yeah who's the special uh the special not special counsel is the special counsel uh, no, special investigator, whatever. The, the equivalent of Mueller was his name, Jack Smith or something like that. Right. He's got some really American name. Jack Smith, yeah. Yeah. Now he's talking about, or they're leaking to the press once again, that he found out that Trump was trying to sell those classified documents to the highest bidder. Right. Yeah, I saw did that he, came out Forbes four hours ago. Yeah. Right. <laughs> did he really try to do that? Just like he right. coordinated with Putin? Yeah. On and on we can go. But the point is, is that they don't believe that they actually have anything because this is a symptom of, uh, of Russiagate. And that is Trump is guilty until proven innocent. Yep. Well, so Nancy Pelosi said that. You right. Know that- <laughs> and then she talks about continuity of government. Like, what, right. are, what are you talking about, you old right. drunk? <laughs> <laughs> you weirdo. And what's up with your husband? He's <laughs> beat up lately. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, like if you look at this there, they have they fear Trump so much that they have to throw all of these court cases against him, knowing that none of them will stick just to stymie him. Right. It's insane that they have to do all of this for one man, which makes you question, what are they hiding? What do they not want this guy to know about? <laughs> well, uh, on, on my show yesterday, I had David Weissman. Now, David Weissman's been on a few Twitter spaces with me. He's been on with Elon Musk. Uh, Sarah Silverman uh, has spoken with him. And so he's got this um, pretty tall stature for somebody who's not actually uh, part of the mainstream press or anything. I think he's got like 360,000 followers, which is impressive on Twitter. And a lot of people listen to what he's saying, but he's a, a very left-leaning individual who used to be right. Uh, He used to be kind of a MAGA Republican, but when he was talking to me, he's like, well, all this stuff was a lie uh, that I was thinking about Donald Trump and the left was right all this time. But when I confronted him later in the conversation about the Durham report and I said, you know, how do you feel about the Steele dossier being paid for by the DNC and Hillary Clinton? How do you feel about the Durham report revealing that the FBI 
basically illegally wiretapped Donald Trump based upon uh, shoddy worksmanship that was likely politically motivated. Um, and people have been charged for it with one person uh, getting a sentence. And it was just silence on the other side as he was processing it. And I'm thinking, you're so strong in, in what you believe. Where are you getting your news? And he goes, well, I listen to MSNBC now. Oh, and I was like, I, I asked him, I said, do you, could you see where that would be a problem to go from Fox News to MSNBC and not think that there's a middle somewhere? And that's what scares me. Like, he was a very nice person to talk about. I'm not trying to talk poorly about a guest that I had on. But my point is, this is what scares me about the far left and the far right at this point, especially with somebody like himself that seemed to make it the travel from one side to the next without landing somewhere in the middle. Like at some point we got to critically think about where these things go. I love what John just offered to us. It's asking us to critically think about why are we upset about this rather than just false outrage over something, which I appreciate. Uh, <laughs> I just, I mean, I don't get it. Flabbergasted. Flabbergasted on where we are. See, okay. So you're moving from Fox news, which we know is rhino news. <laughs> Yep. It's Republican in name only news because they will do anything in their power to make sure that Trump uh, is never, ever going to get a fair shot on that That's network. Um, and you can't question certain sacred cows on that network. Like you cannot tr question the election. You cannot question January 6th. You better not bring up Ray Epps. You know, all of that stuff. You can't touch that on, on, um, on Fox News. And then if you go over to MSNBC, then you're a raving lunatic, and everywhere you look is a Russian uh, agent that's working with Trump, who just happens to be a fascist. You know, every white and, person's and, a Nazi. Every every person's a Nazi. Yeah. Oh, and and now we've got who was the other guy with the U-Haul? Well, he was Indian, right? Yeah. And he's an Indian neo-Nazi. Oh no, an Indian white supremacist. Yeah. And I, I was going to say now colored people are white supremacist. Yes. Under un, under MSNBC. Right. Roger. Anybody can be. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, we can go back to Dave Chappelle, where we have the where he played the KKK guy. Right. Anybody <laughs> yes. can. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't get it. I don't get it. It's, it says to me that people are tired. People are mentally stressed and tapped out from six years of nonsense, seven years of nonsense, whatever we're up to now since 2016. And they just need a spot to land and they don't care where they land, whatever's the most agreeable to them. If it's MSNBC today, then God bless. Watch Rachel Maddow. Look at that gopher, that redheaded gopher that was the press secretary for whatever. Jen, Jen Psaki. Isn't she, yeah. Isn't she on there now? Yeah, she is. When she's not nibbling at carrots and wood or whatever it is that she does. God. <laughs> I mean, God, what a, another reprehensible shrew that I don't if I ever see her again, it's been too soon. I never want to hear from that person again. I always find it interesting how much the left hated Kayla or Kaylee um, McEnany. And I'm saying her McEnany. Yeah. Well, she's another yeah, backstabber. Um, but a, she was always well prepared. She did come out with a binder every day with little well little tabs. Cree <laughs> yeah. John Pierre is like the biggest idiot. Oh. Kaylee makes her look like you know she's in kindergarten. Oh, did you see those sex messages that came out between uh, Kaylee McEnany and Sean Hannity? No. Where they were talking about, or Sean Hannity was trying to give her advice. This was after the election. This was in January. And 
Um, he said no more stolen election talk. And he tried to get her to uh, start bringing up the 25th Amendment mm-hmm. with Trump. And she was going along with this. And a lot of other stories came out about Kaylee McEnany, about how she was backstabbing people just to get ahead. And then all of a sudden we find her on Fox News as soon as Tucker Carlson's gone. Right. <laughs> she. <laughs> and no. then we got Sean Hannity with his CIA lapel pin. Oh, I wonder what side his, his bread is buttered on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. So we got a couple more stories. We got to wrap up here. We got about uh, six, seven minutes left in the show for our listeners that are keeping track, wanting to get to their weekend. But there's some important things that are sh- shaking out right now. The House has not come to a deal on the debt ceiling. In fact, they're leaving for the long holiday weekend now, which means we will not have a deal in place by the time June 1st comes around. It's It's going to be physically impossible. Now, why is it impossible? Because I know you're probably thinking, but Greg, they have until June 1st. That's four days after Memorial Day. Well, the Republicans put a a little note in when Kevin McCarthy became the speaker. They, They now need 72 hours to be able to review any bill. So unless somebody's doing work on Saturday, Friday, Sunday to submit this, They would need something by the 29th to have enough time to vote by the 31st. Actually, they wouldn't have it. They'd have to vote the June 1st. Uh, So that 72-hour window now that the Republicans have put in place that has to happen means that we will not have a deal. This has Wall Street spooked. Wall Street saying, well, what happens if the government can't pay the Treasury yields? So now Wall Street is working backroom deals to make sure that people can still trade treasuries, even if the government stops. We are in for a horrible, horrible crap show, and I'm here for it all. I'm here for it all because this needs to happen. (laughs) Say it with me, Chris. Default. 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 (laughs) I I heard uh, Lefty Lehman text me off to the side. He goes, your take on default is absolutely bonkers. Is it though? Is it really? I mean, 31 trillion closing on 33 trillion now. Is it really bonkers to think that we need the default eventually and reset things for our, our children's future and our grandchildren's future? Or can we just continue to say, well, screw it. Money doesn't actually matter and, and pretend that this is monopoly and we'll just start writing notes to one another and go, well, here's my $500. Well, gee, sir, that $500 looks a lot like your business card. Yes, it does. <laughs> I think they're doing this on purpose, obviously. Now, back in prior negotiations about debt ceilings, they used to wait until the 11th hour, uh, the 59-minute point in the hour to create a deal because they wanted the money. They wanted the fundraising. They wanted people to panic because then they could make all of their moves and make money on the back end once the deal is put through. But with this 72-hour clause in there. I think they're doing this on purpose to tank the debt because in July, what happens? Fed now is introduced. And what do you have then? You have central banking digital currency. So what would be the way to usher that in? By creating a panic, just the same way that they ushered in acceptance of mRNA shots due to a panic. I think that's what they're going to push for. And you're going to start to see more states 
kind of go on their own road. Look at all the uh, states that now have their own gold bullion uh, depositories now. What is that about? They're saying that we don't rely on the federal government anymore. We don't trust the Federal Reserve. We need to come up with our own hard currency. Now, that currency could be a digital currency, but at least it's backed by gold and not well intentions from the Federal Reserve which also then goes down the road, you're going to have Texas dollars, Las Vegas dollars, Nevada dollars, Arizona dollars, federal dollars, Goldman Sachs dollars, you know, and then through blockchain, you can have all of those different currencies exchange with one another in real time. So a a New York dollar is not going to be worth an Oklahoma dollar or vice versa, Oklahoma, you know, is not going to be worth a New York dollar. Right. I think that's the next step. I think they're going to, they're going to ruffle a lot of feathers. So apparently Democrats are livid with Joe Biden today. In fact, (laughs) uh, one of the House Democrats who was granted uh, to speak anonymously to Politico said, it's time to bring the president off the bench or bring somebody off the bench. No one's responding to anything. And Kevin McCarthy's consistently on message. We have the Oval Office, and I've never seen anything like it. I mean, maybe they called a lid for the day. Maybe that's why Biden can uh, respond. <laughs> that's right. Memorial Day weekend is coming up, right? He's, he's heading to Rehoboth here in Delaware. He's going to be spending. Oh, probably, is he? Hey, he's going to be right down the road from me. He's going to be hanging out at the beach, I'm sure. Yeah. Are, are they going to release who visits him at his beach house? Hell no. No. Why would we do that? <laughs> no, of we course do not. That? <laughs> no, we can't know about all the people from other countries that are coming down to Rehoboth. Yeah, or showing up in a boat, right? If he's got a beach house, who's doing that? Look, this is this has got to be a panic. They're it's, they're staging a financial panic to make all of this acceptable, to make this CBDC nonsense acceptable. And they talk about this kind of thing happening. And you remember all these senators now this week were given satellite phones in case of some kind of emergency. And then there were rumors about how 50 senators not only were given satellite phones, but members of the continuity of government had to be at continuity of government approved locations to take their vacations for this weekend. Mm -hmm. What's going on? (laughs) Why now? (laughs) And what was it? Ammonium nitrate just happened to disappear? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, tons of it happened to disappear yeah 30 tons and if you read how it got released and and looked at the detail you go how could anybody miss this i mean right. it, it's not it's not like this train went from point a to point b and traveled two thousand miles without making a stop there are plenty of stops in between how come nobody would notice this but if it was traveling at 70 miles per hour and your car that was oh, trying no. to intercept the nitrate was traveling <laughs> at 65 miles per hour at what point would they meet up you know i'm not good at math <laughs> Oh, I know, but that's kind of like what this sounds like. It's like, how does this just go missing? Like, where was that other car and how fast were they traveling? All right, let me ask you one question. Yeah. Do you think that the left and the right are starting to wake up to things that don't make sense now? And the reason why I say this is that you have Trump and you have RFK Jr. basically on the same message. They're talking about the CIA. They're talking about releasing the JFK files. They're talking about vaccines and lockdowns and, and all this other stuff. 
who do you think could potentially be pulling the strings behind both of those individuals to come up with the same message? That's intriguing. That's actually very intriguing. So, huh. I'm going because to... if you listen to them, they sound almost identical. The delivery mm. is different, obviously. They do. And I've always stated that the people on the left really hate this, but I always state that Donald Trump's not a Republican. I mean, he's he's much more of a Democrat in, in many ways. He plays a, a Republican really well, um, but he, he definitely has uh, sides of him that are more on the left. And so from those talking points of the traditional Democrat of the 1990s, they're kind of from that same playbook. So I guess what I would look at is who is in the Kennedy family that also is close with Donald Trump that would put the same type of talking points that were derived almost from a 1990s playbook into both of these campaigns. And then that leads me back to this whole Kennedy relationship that Donald Trump has had this entire time. And then I got to wonder, is RFK Jr. running at the behest of Donald Trump? Is there something that's going on right now? Well, I need some pressure on Joe Biden. You run. We know that he's close. Like that, We know that there is a mutual friendship there between the families. Um, Could there be something to it? But I don't think that's the connection you were making. So now I'm curious, what's the connection you're making? Well, before I go down that road, this reminds me of a story that I heard back in 2015 when Trump was running. And for the life of me, I cannot find this story again. It was around for about a year, and then they just memory hold this thing. It was from a former Trump campaign manager when he was running, and she quit between 2015 and and 2016. So she had some experience chitting up votes. And she said the whole purpose of Donald Trump running was to broker the convention and make the Republicans discordant so that they couldn't move forward. And they wanted Donald Trump to get about 10% of the Republican votes so that everything's in ruins. Why? Because Hillary Clinton was funding that kind of effort through her PACs indirectly. And you did find out that Hillary Clinton was, in fact, funding Donald Trump through her PACs in 2015 and 16. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what's going on now, maybe not directly from Trump, but one of his PACs that could be pushing that kind of agenda. Because you remember, too, he brought in RFK. And then all of a sudden he drummed out RFK to talk about vaccines and all the dangers of that. So I think there's got to be, see, whenever I see all of these politicians, the first thing I think about is what kind of agency is backing these people up? Because it's either the CIA, the NSA, military intelligence, if you want to call it that, or something like that. So I'm thinking what kind of intelligence agency is pushing that kind of agenda? You know what I mean? Yep. Because DeSantis is bought and sold. Biden is certainly bought and sold. Trump, if you look into his, his relationship with his uncle and Roy Cohn and all that stuff, he's bought and sold by a bunch of people. And RFK, if you look at, you know, he's palling around with Ghislaine Maxwell and she's showing up to funerals and weddings and all this other stuff too. So what's he doing? I think there's got to be some kind of intelligence link between all of that. And that may even include a foreign intelligence link. I was going to say, I think what you are getting at, if I'm reading the tea leaves properly here is the UK, 
You're looking at a royal intelligence. Could be. Because nobody talks about the United Kingdom enough. They're very quiet about what they do. And they have a lot more influence than people give them credit for. Especially, the prime example is, is the Ukraine. And nobody talks about it. Everyone talks about the United States, who's funding it and all that. But who's doing all the training and the planning? A lot of it's coming from England. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess if you're saying that, you know, the CIA, FBI, all these different agencies are under attack by both Trump and RFK Jr., then that leads me to believe that they're trying to tear this down from an outside influence and intelligence you know that Donald Trump played well with the queen, which would tell me that he's in with the Royals in a pretty good way. I actually did a, a show that he's part of the Royal bloodline. Yes. Uh, and RFK jr. We've always claimed in many ways that he was royalty uh, based upon the Kennedy name. They're often talked about as the American Royal family. And uh, you got to wonder if maybe there wasn't somebody that reached out after JFK Jr.'s death and said, hey, we got intelligence and they've known all along because he's kind of alluded to that in speeches. And that would play nicely into both of these. I like uh, I like playing connect the dots with you at the end of an episode. That was fun. Um, now, now I will do research on this and report back to my listeners sometime next week on this topic. And we'll once again, oh, man. That's a nice, quick, little over an hour today. I think we ran in probably like close to an hour and 20 minutes. What a great conversation wow. with uh, John and yourself. And we covered a lot of different stuff. What, what's your plans for Memorial Day weekend? You're going to be uh, firing up the barbecue at all? I'm going to get all fat and sassy. No, I, I have no idea. I'm around a bunch of beautiful beaches, so I'm probably going to try and go to one of them. And I have um, an airport by me. That has all of these antique and older airplanes. So I, nice. where I live, I've been being buzzed by World War II bombers and fighter bombers and fighter airplanes all day. <laughs> so maybe I'll do some uh, photography with those. That'll be awesome. Yeah, if you take anything that's good, let me know. I'll yeah, be uh, I'll be officiating a wedding this Ooh. Saturday. Yeah, really? Yeah, tomorrow I'm going to be officiating a wedding of uh, one of a uh, former student. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I've been working hard on what I'm going to say, uh, but I'm actually going to rewrite um, in just a few moments when I wrap up this show, just to get ready. I want to perfect and try to make things as best as possible. And as a perfectionist, the work is never done. So I'm going to continue <laughs> on with that. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's been a blast. Make sure that you go follow along at last call caravan on Twitter to be able to hear Chris Michaels and his thoughts throughout the week. Give him a follow, give him a shout, tell him that you heard him here on the America emboldened show. Let him know that you are part of this family. He'd appreciate that as well as make sure you're listening to his shows. Last call with Chris Michaels published on Spotify on Apple iTunes, the podcast store, everywhere you can get a podcast. He's all over the place, just like me. So make sure you're giving him a listen as well. Chris, it's been a blast. I wish you a happy Memorial Day. And thank you once again for coming on to the show. Thank you very much, Greg. I will speak to you soon. Sounds good. We hope we honored your time well, everybody. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden and my special guest, Chris Michaels, here on this Friday on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America. Thank you.